Andy. Hi, Your blood work came back this morning. I'm going to come back in a few minutes and talk to you about it. All right? I'll be right here. Listen closely, because you might miss it in this scene from Philadelphia. How are you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Great. Make a fist for me? Another thing. Once more. Gonna have to start looking for veins in your feet, sweetheart. Patience, darling. Okay. Did you notice it? Notice what? That carefully placed interaction between a clinician and a patient who is quickly running out of veins to draw blood from. Yeah, but why would that matter, Violet? It matters because it is likely the only scene in the entire blockbuster film of Philadelphia that even approaches the topic of intravenous drug users in the AIDS crisis. Clinicians often had to be creative when finding veins in IV drug-using patients, and this scene clues us into those interactions. Oh, I see. And it matters, because IV drug use was particularly in America's biggest poorest city, a big reason why Philadelphia's AIDS rates was so high. The fact that the film's producers included that brief and easily forgettable scene is very revealing. There was, and I argue, still is a lot of stigma around drug use and AIDS. In fact, the fact that there are no speaking parts and no identifiable IV drug users in the movie just perpetuates the silence and shame around drug use. But, as you say, Drug use is one of the biggest ways that people began to acquire the disease by the late 1980s and 1990s. Yes. In fact, this scene in Philadelphia is revealing because as NPR and WHYY reporter Elena Gordon covered a few years ago, many of the extras in the film were patients with AIDS and were involved with Action AIDS an AIDS service organization that Jim Luttrell and Anna Forbes, who we met earlier in the series, were a part of. Gordon interviews both Philadelphia's director, Jonathan Demme, and an extra named Sue Ellen Kaler. Philadelphia wasn't just made in Philadelphia. The film was made with the people of Philadelphia, too. Here's Demme. I wanted very, very much to employ people with AIDS as extras or any other aspect, because it was very, very hard for people with AIDS 20 years ago to get jobs and what have you. Sue Ellen Kaler is a petite woman. You can catch her sitting right behind Denzel Washington and Tom Hanks in a city hall courtroom as an extra in the movie Philadelphia. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. His employers discovered his illness. I was surprised that they do um, have the camera on me for quite a few minutes. There's a bunch of people, HIV positive, standing in line, all wanting to be a part of the movie. Jonathan Demme himself later uh, just went down the line of people that were wanting to be extras who are HIV positive and just said, okay, you come here, you come here. Sue Ellen Kaler was one of them. Like the Andy Beckett character, she grew up in Lower Marion on the main line. We would all sit around saying we've got to do whatever is necessary to stay, you know, stay alive so that when they do discover that breakthrough pill, we'll be alive. About 50 extras in the film had HIV, some with visible signs of the disease in that clinic scene. 
But within a year of the film's release, most had died. According to Gordon's reporting, Kaler's life at the time of her interview was calm and peaceful, a far contrast to the volatility and trauma of her childhood and the relationship with her former fiancé, who she says contracted HIV while caught up in drugs. Absolutely right. This is just another example of how shame and stigma around IV drug use and HIV transmission, quite literally, is included within the frame of AIDS narratives, but is rarely given screen time and speaking time, so to speak, in this movie. Yes. In our very last and final episode of The Other Streets of Philadelphia, produced by Fidel, Violet, and Margaret, we're taking a deep dive into finally giving voice to IV drug users who advocated for services and giving more attention to the crisis among IV drug users in Philadelphia. Our journey to examine the voices of IV drug users shows why some AIDS activists increasingly strengthened their voices around economic inequality and housing insecurity, things that are related to race, gender, and sexuality, but are by no means exclusive to them. Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Other Streets of Philadelphia. I'm Violet Rose Collins. And my name is Fidel Buono. We're here to talk about the relationship between intravenous drug use and AIDS. We expect to have wonderful expert testimony from Dan Royals and some audio from our oral history guest, Roy Hayes. This episode, we do want to say, may be triggering to some of our viewers, keeping in mind that some of our listeners may have trauma related to drugs and intravenous drug use. And we acknowledge that right off the bat. If you're emotionally prepared for this conversation right now, feel free to come back later. We want to break our discussion into a general discussion of policing identity and housing insecurity, and then move in talking specifically about the activist and subject of our oral history we were given for this project. During this time, we will shed light on activist groups such as We the People and Act of Philadelphia, where Roy Hayes assumed presidential roles. At the end of our episode, we want to mention the names of some people who have passed away of AIDS that hasn't been mentioned throughout this podcast series. And so I suppose that leads us to dive right into our research about housing insecurity. Would you mind starting us off, Fidel? Definitely. Research suggests that individuals who are homeless, living in marginal conditions, or lacking permanent access to safe, secure, and private personal space suffer from a substantial burden of mental illness, physical disease, and disability. Studies of homeless individuals, typically from urban settings in North America, have identified elevated levels of morbidity and mortality. Although suffering from high rates of chronic and acute disease, homeless individuals have inferior contact with the healthcare system and typically experience low rates of preventative and ambulatory care while accounting for high levels of urgent care. People with AIDS are disproportionately affected by housing insecurity because of the place that many people with AIDS exist in society. 
AIDS being called the white man's disease in its early context blinded the black community. They were told the virus had the ability to distinguish who was attacked by complexion or sexual orientation. Uh, this narrative made it harder to discuss AIDS and educate people about its nature, how it was spread, how to combat it, and most importantly, how to live with it. The African-American community had the least knowledge and resource to fight the virus and so naturally suffered the most. The lack of allocation of resources to these people is disturbing. And the reason behind this is buried deep within the American system, which has failed to address issues of race. The problem with housing insecurity, economic inequality, police brutality, amongst other issues that are rooted deeply in race, is so that it is no surprise that these minority groups, such as Black people, suffered the most. These factors would continue to push the Black community when it came to AIDS. Additionally, within these communities, there's a strong stigma around individuals outside norm. These individuals live in a world that refuses to accept them for who they are, making them uncomfortable in their own skin. People who should be accepting them, like family, friends, community leaders, religious leaders, are the ones policing them and creating that fear and internal conflict, which a lot of times can be extremely overwhelming and unbearable. This pain causes a need for a coping mechanism, and unfortunately, the most accessible one for people in these communities is drugs. It's important to know that these substances, they exist, and they are neither good nor bad. They either come from nature or are extracted from nature by man. And I think, quite frankly, that there is a lot more evil in selling a drug like fentanyl or heroin than there is in taking them. For me, this puts agency in the hands of the people involved with the substance, making it a matter of people taking actions rather than some substance that has no will of its own, but simply a chemical makeup that affects the chemistry of our brains. I want it to be known that this is a slight reordering of how we normally think about drugs. As such, it's supposed to put the agency into the hands of addicts. So let's put the story into the hands of our oral history guest, Roy Hayes, as we begin to talk about his legacy. We hope the, to have his own words on the subject. Roy Hayes is a man who uh, would be labeled as a like a excuse me, a gay black man in his community who struggled through trauma due, due to some religious experiences in his life, an instance of sexual abuse in his youth, uh, this, and drug abuse throughout his life. Uh, I... He's known for his activism in the AIDS community, specifically ACT UP, as, I, as he's mentioned. Uh, One thing that makes Roy 
an exceptional leader is that he himself has been through the virus. He's fought with it and managed to survive, even though he's still fighting it. And that really makes him an exemption because it allows him to understand the 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 suffering of other people. He's He's been in their shoes and he's the same person who's telling them that if I've been able to do it, you can do it as well. Roy Hayes, that idea transfers into his methods, right? Roy Hayes once got in trouble, according to his oral history, uh, when he was a case manager at ACT UP by simply when one of his clients came in and was like, I just need 20 bucks. He gave them 20 bucks and he got in trouble for it, even though it was his own money. He was told, uh, Roy, you really can't be giving people your own money. It's, it doesn't look good, you know? But he was like, but his, his opinion on the subject was, well, they needed the money. You know, it's an act of radical care that is, that is kind of unique to Roy in, in his own way, that like his specific way of doing it is unique to him. And it's something that we, that we as, as people, and if we choose to label ourselves such as activists, can do to help others in whatever format that we might find ourselves going towards, you know. To you, I was the president of We The People. We created a board. We also, next door, we have a housing uh, project. We had apartments upstairs, subsidized houses for people right around the corner from where, where it's at now. I think the houses are still down there now. No, I think, no, I think they tore it It was still down in there. We had a house of corporation. We had so many apartments that people who were subsidized, you know, uh, could live there, you know, and um, we had so much. We had a doctor, we had people could come down there and get their uh, T-cell count there. We had a doctor used to come down there once a, uh, once a week and see people for free, free health care, you know, to uh, uh, follow up and fight. Is we uh, to act up Philadelphia to where the people fight with one in the mall or one time shopping. So you could you gotta go out there when people uh, don't uh, uh, if you get people a lot of time a lot of time poor people or people with HIV and everything you know you give them a fur you tell them to go to the the dentist oh uh, we have a dentist here you uh, people go to nutrition we have a nutrition here. If you want to go to a drug program, we have a drug program here. He fought to bring all the resources that victims of the virus needed into one place. And so when people would come in, if they needed to talk to a doctor, there was one for them. If they needed somebody to give them food, there was one for them. If they needed someone to vent to, there was someone there for them. And so Roy really is someone who has been through it and he understands a lot of homeless people, when they have the virus, they're unable to care for themselves. They're unable to go and find the things that they need. And and Roy has been through that. And so that's why this one-stop shop where people can just come in and figure out everything in this one place was really, really beneficial. And it really helped heal a lot of people that were suffering. Yeah. And also that like one-stop shop idea, right? That is getting the community 
the resources that they need in order to cope healthily with the issues that they're facing, right? Exactly. And I guess that's a really good point that highlights on um, the needle exchange programs. New York was the first of a needle change. We were part of Philadelphia to start that with needle change, you know, get people clean needles, you know. You know, people got to realize that we get people, even though that came out, you know, you don't just say, hey, you clean needle, but make sure that when you get clean needle, get that person a choice if they need to come to treatment. They can't, but you can't make the same thing like me. You know, I was in and out of this fellowship, so I got ready. But the day is you, you find out that needle change do work, you know, because people is going to get the clean needle. People is picking up these, these clean needles and stuff like that. So it's a lot. In Inception, there was a lot of pushback because people felt that, you know, are we encouraging drug use or not? You know, and, and Roy is able to explain to people that it's better for them to be given the right resources to stop the transmission through, you know, needles and to provide them with clean needles so that they can kind of kind of cope because, you know. This because this stuff is hard because with the world while dealing with all of those factors is hard. Living life is a difficult experience that everyone needs help with sometimes. Exactly. We dig into Roy's past and we see how he's been policed ever since he was a kid. And he's been struggling with that identity. He's been struggling to be himself. And and drugs is naturally... uh, An avenue that at one point he took, right? Exactly. And I don't think he's a terrible person for that. He wound up becoming a wonderful person because of the path he took. And I think that that leads us to really need to shift the discussion from Roy Hayes to Act Up Philadelphia, right? And talk about the organization's larger impact. I think there's clearly still an issue when it comes to race and that is creating a lot of problems for people who are within the black community as well as who identify outside the norm. This is something that needs to be addressed and it's something that we should no longer assume is solved because of the current times that we're in. Yeah, I think that it's kind of, I don't want to use the term naive, but I can't think of another word to think that simply with the passage of some 20 years, while a virus, while the virus is still affecting so many people, to think that the discrimination on the basis of AIDS has ended. Exactly in any of the systems that we've talked about, it really is that we see these injustices still taking place today, right? Uh, In the city of Philadelphia over the summer, there were multiple encampments of homeless people demanding that the city of Philadelphia address the issues that the housing authority has and how it and who they serve. There are thousands of people on their waiting lists while they have these properties, right? And so 
it really comes to a question of what can we do for first people with AIDS, second uh, homeless people, and last but certainly not least, uh, people experience people in recovery or those still taking drugs. And I think that to start, people with AIDS have tons of established charities, right? That you can donate to AIDS research if you have the money. You can listen to a person with AIDS if you have the time. As for homeless people, there are tons of advocacy programs and shelters. Uh, but as for that, the greatest thing you can do is if you live in the city of Philadelphia to contact your or if you live in a major city with a housing authority for that matter to contact your representatives and make sure you know they know that you care about what happens to homeless people and finally as for people in recovery i think that it really comes down to a matter of understanding and a matter of recognition of their humanity right by put we in this podcast we purposefully chose to uh, to privilege certain audio over other audio in order to push our ideas, right? And we wanted to specifically privilege the narrative and the voices of those using these drugs. And that's why I think that every member of our group was attracted to the story of Roy Hayes when we were given the initial kind of blurb about each of our uh, oral history subjects, right? And I, I suppose this is really where we sign off, right? I am Violet Rose Collins. And I am Fidel Buama. And this has been a, another wonderful episode in the other streets of Philadelphia. We hope that you have a wonderful week. Peace. Peace.